You're listening to audio from Redemption Church of Houston. We are a people who believe that Jesus has invited everyone into his radically inclusive, world-altering way of love. That means that when we gather on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. or in homes throughout the week, you are welcome here. Regardless of your social status, gender, race, sexual orientation, or politics, we want you to fully and actually join, grow, worship, and serve with us. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, Jesus invites you into his radical love just the way you are. And so do we. So uh, for the past couple of years, um, it has been a couple of years, we've been uh, meandering through uh, the Gospel of Mark. Um, and it's one of our favorite words, meander. It makes my wife crack up every time we say it, because it's not a word we normally use. But we've been meandering. We've taken our time. We've been slowly walking through this whole Gospel of Mark, um, because we want to really uh, experience it. We want to hear the story the way that it's passed down to us. We want to get all of the nuance and like the morsels of what Mark is trying to pass down to us uh, by just trying to in- inhabit the story, trying to get into it, and trying to not breeze through things we've heard before and assume we know it all, but just to see fresh things. Um, yeah, we want to take our time through each section. And that presents an interesting uh, you know, kind of challenge for us these last couple of weeks, uh, because going slowly means that Good Friday lasts for three weeks, which, you know, that seems a little excessive. That's not really the time you really want to dwell and hang out and spend all your time in. Um, I, I am glad we're doing it. I'm glad we get the chance to do this. Uh, but it's not at all because of, like, the Mel Gibson reason of, like, just sitting and looking at how terrible and grotesque the crucifixion is until you feel guilty for what Jesus had to do for you absolutely not the reason why this is good. Um, See, uh, Mark is telling this story and has this, on this one event, this one night of events, he has three kind of lenses he uses. It's these three distinct sections that each have a different focus, uh, a different uh, theme of what he's trying to bring out of what God is showing us through these events. Um, And it's not the you should feel guilty thing. It's, I think it's way, way better news than that. I really hope that we can find um, some help, some encouragement, um, that we can really actually worship um, and see God's love that goes way beyond um, some dominant theme of someone getting punished on our behalf. Um, I'm Mike, by the way. I'm one of the pastors here. I, we, we changed up recently how we do things. Now we do like the announcements and the intro at the beginning. I used to do that every week, and now I forget that I never actually said my name. So, Mike, hi. Nice to meet you guys. Um, so this passage this week has been really helpful to me. Um, I felt a little bit disconnected from myself and disconnected from God. Uh, it's the kind of feeling that's not overwhelming. You know, like it doesn't hit you all at once. You don't really know. It kind of builds slowly until, you know, it's uh, hypothetically, it's a random Friday night and you're in the church parking lot with your wife for some fun event and you just start crying. You don't know why. Um, and, you know, get through that. Okay, that's fine. And then a friend uh, texts you the next day and says, like, sees you at church and is uh, like, hey, you okay? I'm like, I think I'm fine. That's weird. Those two things just happened. Maybe I should slow down and actually check in and see how I'm actually feeling because I don't think I know anymore. Um, just one of those kind of, anybody 
have lots of feelings, they, okay, cool, just me. Um, and as an aside, like I, I, so I am someone with uh, depression and anxiety. I take medication for both those things. Meds have been great for me. Um, and I mention that as much as I can, just to blanket remind everyone that this is a safe place for absolutely anyone. It's a safe place for you. If you have ever felt isolated or rejected or judged because of mental health issues, um, that's not here. Uh, we, we firmly believe that every single person needs uh, more Jesus and also a therapist. That's just our norm here. So, yes, lots of therapists in the room. That's right. So all that said, crying in the parking lot, I should probably think about that and talk to somebody about that. Um, and this, this, this uh, the passage helped me this week because it helped me to, what it did is it helped me feel a little less numb um, inside. It made it harder for me. Um, it helped me see and feel more grounded in God's uh, nearness and his solidarity with me um, and his overwhelming condescension. Just meaning like seeing how, how far he came from above the heavens down to my lowest place to meet me there so I wouldn't be alone to give me company there. Um, seeing his initiative and his commitment to do that really helped me. And it didn't fix everything. Like reading the Bible never fixes everything. Um, it, it just made it a little easier. You know, it made it a little harder to feel that, that, that numbness because if, you know, I'm reading that and if God would go to such dramatic lengths to understand me and to comfort me and to be present with me, um, then it's just a little harder to feel numb. And it warmed my heart and helped me kind of move on this week. And um, I know I already mentioned that we're not doing the Mel Gibson thing. I'll tell you up front, like, the thing that helped me in this was not um, feeling like someone got really, really hurt by God so I didn't have to get hurt by God. It's, I think it's so much better news than that. Because, um, see, what I found is that I have a God who not only is with me, he, I have a God who went ahead of me to my lowest point so that when I got there, he was already waiting for me. Like, I couldn't get to a place where I was alone because wherever I go, he's already there. And he's done that for every single one of us. That for every single one of you in this room, you have a God who understands you, who understands what you're feeling right now. He understands what you're carrying because he's felt it. He's carrying it. He's carried it already. He was lifted up high on the cross to proclaim to all of history that everything you're carrying, he has come to carry it with you. Not warm my heart this week. So we're, um, Brandon already read the whole passage this morning. We're going to go back through the story um, again, meandering, taking our time. Uh, we're in Mark 15, 16 to 32. And as, as we go, there's one uh, key thing that I think is going to sell this point. At least uh, I hope it does. Um, what I want you to think about is pay attention to how much time Mark spends talking about the physical suffering of the crucifixion. Which sounds like a trick question. It's not. Because um, the answer is, it's like basically half a sentence. It's in verse 24, he says, and they nailed him to the cross. And that's it. And... And it's not to say the cross like, wasn't that big a deal. It absolutely was. Like, it, it was excruciating because the word excruciating literally means being crucified. It's terrible. It's, it's absolutely terrible. 
But the gospel writers don't spend much of their time on that sec- that part, that aspect of this, this event, this experience. And I don't think that's something that we can just ignore as, as like a mistake or a coincidence. I think if we want to hear from Mark and really see what he's trying to communicate to us, and there's a clear theme in this part of the story. It's like I told you, there's different lenses. And the lens this week is on the mockery that Jesus suffered. This whole passage is, is going in depth to describe the mockery, the humiliation, the dehumanizing experience of Jesus on the cross. And he's telling us about what Jesus accomplished in his crucifixion. But what he describes is not accomplishing physical suffering, it's, it's humiliation. If for some reason, Mark and the rest of the gospel writers think that Jesus' experience of humiliation is the thing that he accomplished. And something I know I've, I've missed before, it's, it's just not emphasized that way in most of our culture and most of our experiences. And I'll talk more about why I think that is later on. But for now, let's just go through the story and, and you know, see if Mike's full of it or not. Um, today I'm reading out of the, the message translation. Uh, we intentionally use a lot of different translations here. We switch it up every week, uh, just depending on what we're trying to get across and like what we're trying to pull out of there to see in the text. Um, the reason is we like reminding ourselves that, uh, well, that the Bible wasn't written in English. Spoiler. And so every single translation of it is an interpretation of some kind. Every time someone's moving something from one language to another, they're making a lot of choices about how to say this word, how to say this phrase. So there's no like true English translation. There's no more trustworthy one. They've all got strengths and weaknesses. They're all good and helpful. The more we have, the better off we are. Um, so this week it's the message. It's the one that I w- wanted to read through. And we're in chapter 15, uh, starting in verse 16. And one more before I actually read the verse. Just to remind you where we are in the story. We are on, uh, on Good Friday, on the evening of it. Um, last week we got through the section where Jesus has had the Last Supper with his disciples. He's been betrayed by Judas and arrested. He's been tried before the uh, religious leaders. He's just been tried by Pilate and condemned to death. And that's where we pick up this week in the story. So in verse 16, it says that the soldiers took Jesus into the palace called Praetorium. And they called together the entire brigade. So Jesus' trial in front of Pilate uh, was at the palace. Um, it's over, so they, they lead him into the courtyard. They're about to start the progress toward the cross. And the first thing to know is that these soldiers, they're, they're not Jewish. They're not locals. They, these guys are they're Roman soldiers. They're mercenaries. They're, uh, they're a peacekeeping force in a foreign land, in a foreign occupied land. And we still have, we still have Americans doing that today. That, that is still a common understanding, like a situation that we can see that's really... That's really tough. It's kind of an impossible situation for peacekeepers to be in, where they are a few people in this massive city, and they're the enemy, and they're in charge, but no one wants them there. So they constantly feel under threat. And these soldiers in particular, you know, this is the weekend of Passover. This is the week of the year where Jerusalem is going to swell and swell, and all these people are going to come from all over the place to fill the city up, to have their, their biggest festival of the year, and these guys are just on pins and needles, just waiting, hoping they can make it through without some big incident happening. So there's so much stress. Uh, there's just so much tension and angst. And here they are in the middle of the night before the festival, and they've got the king of the Jews. What do you know? This is a great opportunity for them, because 
they get to let their worst you know, feelings and uh, I don't know, ideas and egg each other on and take it all out on this guy who's completely at their mercy. That's an awful place to be if you're Jesus. It's not where you want to be. Because, I mean, they're already going to kill him, but, but soon they're going to kill him, but they get to humiliate him first. They get to make themselves feel better. Um, you think about some modern things, and I, I say modern, then I remember how young all you guys are. Uh, so there's this invasion of Iraq. It was maybe before some of you were born, babies. Um, but America it was over there, and there was this, this prison called Abu Ghraib where some American soldiers did almost the same thing to some Iraqi prisoners. They were in a bad place. They were really stressed out. I mean, it's this impossible situation as these foreign peacekeepers. And they egged each other on, and they took out their, their, uh, their frustration and their, their fear as violence and humiliation on some, some soldiers or some prisoners who they had total power over. It still happens, and it should turn our stomach. We see that we saw photos of that, and it should just make us nauseated because it's, it's wrong. It's to see someone belittled and dehumanized and brought down that low. It's, it's just a terrible thing to see. But that's what they're going to do to Jesus. So they pull him out in the courtyard. They call their friends together. They say, hey, guys, come here. Look who we got. Look who we got. In the next verse, uh, they talk about what they did. They dressed him up in purple put a crown plated from a uh, thorn bush on his head. They began their mockery. Bravo, king of the Jews! And they banged on his head with a club and spit on him and knelt down in mock worship. So they decided just to take Jesus' accused title, king of the Jews, and just lean into it. Because this guy's a, a king? Well, let's, let's give him a coronation. Let's give him a, a Roman triumphal entry which means you give him a purple robe because that's the, the royal color, this expensive color to produce. And let's dress him up so he's ready for the occasion. Let's make a crown. He, he's a king and needs a crown. So let's make one. Let's make it out of thorns. So it hurts. And it's even more humiliating and mocking because it's not just hurting the guy, but it's doing it with this symbol of royalty, with the symbol of his office, you know, that they, they're making fun of it. They're ironically pointing to the truth that he is the king. They're bringing him down lower and lower. They're trying to make him as small and subhuman as they possibly can. They bow down to honor the king. They hit him. They're egging each other on. They're just pushing this degrading humiliation as far as they can. Jesus is as vulnerable as you can get. He's trapped in the courtyard with these scared soldiers who need to feel better about their situation. And so Jesus gets all of it. And that part, I, I, you know, I grew up in the church. I've heard this story uh, lots of times. But this next verse, uh, you ever read something you read before and then you see something that you're like, that, that wasn't there. No, someone added that recently because I'm sure that I'd never seen that before. So I felt about this next verse because it says that after they had had their fun, fun, they took off the purple cape, put on his own clothes, or put his own clothes back on him, and then marched him out to nail him to the cross. So, if you really need to drive home how shameful and intentionally cruel this mockery was, that after they'd had their fun, which isn't that a great time, what they're doing to this poor guy, they put his clothes back on him. Like, they cleaned up and covered up this thing they'd just done. I'd, I'd never noticed that, that, that next step before of... <laughs> 
this was different. This was extra. This is even for a crucified prisoner. This is not something that was normally done. Because if so, who cares? Just send it back out. We'll keep the party going and let everyone else join in. No, they covered it up. Jesus not only suffered this humiliation, but he suffered this humiliation in secret. He's totally isolated in this, this courtyard of the palace where no one in the public can see it. And they had all the fun they could until it just got old because they just like, ah, oh, it's not really fun anymore. I guess we're done. And they covered it up and went back to work. So it's, it's not enough just to be mocked and degraded and dehumanized. But then it's got another level that no one saw. And they intentionally made sure that it stayed just between them. Jesus is totally alone. Next verse, they have walked out of the courtyard. They're headed toward the, the, the execution site. It says, There was a man walking by, coming from work, Simon from Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus. They made him carry Jesus' cross. And this is a reference that uh, clearly Mark is saying to his readers. He's referencing back to Mark chapter 8, where Jesus has told his disciples, If anyone come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And so it's, it's literally happening in this moment for Simon. Like, we get this direct example of this thing Jesus has called ahead. I said, this is what it, it's going to be. This is what it means to follow me. Simon, he's literally picking up a cross and following after Jesus. And it's so amazing, and, and it's, it's heartbreaking breaking what, everything that's happening to Jesus. But more than just, like, a proof of, of what this is going to be like, I think we get this picture now of what's happening and what, why Jesus has told us this thing. Like, what does it mean to pick up your cross and follow? Because in this moment, Jesus, we've said, is totally isolated and totally alone and is suffering and this humiliation by himself. But at least for this part of the story, Simon's sharing the humiliation with him. Simon's sharing the physical burden. He's actually carrying part of it that doesn't make everything better. He doesn't replace him so Jesus doesn't have to feel anything anymore. He's literally just coming into the story and joining Jesus in it. And we get this first picture of what does this mean? That's, that's what it means that for this part, Jesus is not alone. He has someone sharing the burden with him. He has someone sharing the humiliation. For Simon, it's, it's not, everyone doesn't like respect him more for being, he's in the middle of it. He's just like Jesus at this moment. He's being mocked and, and, and ridiculed and everything else. But he's sharing it, so Jesus isn't by himself. He makes it a little bit easier for Jesus in this moment. And to be fair, you know, Simon was told to by the soldiers. He wasn't just some amazing guy who jumped out of the crowd and said, I'll do it. You know, he was committed to but he's still sharing it. And I think we know just how impactful this was for him of what this did to Simon and, and actually his whole family because of the fact that he's named, we know where he's from, and then we know his two sons' names. This is not a long book. This is not lots of space to just add lots of random trivia as you go through. And the reason why they're there is because we know from later on in later documents that Alexander and Rufus and Simon, they were all part of Mark's church. These guys were leaders in the church later on. They're the reference later. These, this whole family had their lives changed because of what Simon got to experience here. It was this terrible thing that he had to go through, 
but it changed him because he shared the burden. He saw what that did, and it changed his heart. And I, I want to read too much into that, but I think it's just incredible. That, imagine being in this, this church, and Mark has just written this book, and you're reading through it, and they mention Alexander Rufus. You go, oh, it's Simon's guy, boys. Oh, yeah. Wow. Because it's to them. There's an audience for this letter. Verse 22. Soldiers brought Jesus to Golgotha, meaning Skull Hill. They offered him a mild painkiller, wine mixed with myrrh, but he wouldn't take it. So Skull Hill, uh, this name makes it pretty clear. This is not a good place. Um, It's a notorious place where uh, the the lowest of the low are put to public humiliating death. They offered him a mild painkiller, but he refused it. And I don't think he's being masochistic here. I I think this is actually where we really get some more depth into the big idea of the story today. And I think that the point of this event, the thing Jesus is accomplishing is solidarity with those who are feeling shame, those who are being shamed, those who are being humiliated. He's showing solidarity. He's connecting with them by sharing the experience. And so the point of this is to feel all of it so that he can actually give real hope to people who are carrying hard things, who are in bad places, who are suffering because they can then believe that this really is a God who understands what I'm feeling right now. This is a God who understands what I'm carrying because he went through it. He carried all of it and he felt all of it and and he didn't accept something that would lessen his ability to experience it. He understands us. And next we get our one sentence about the crucifixion itself. And they nailed him to the cross. Plain and simple. So not only did Mark's readers know fully well what crucifixion was, they didn't need more detail because they were public and they happened all the time. And they saw them on a regular basis. Um, But again, the point of what Jesus is doing on the cross, it, it can't be that he's trying to meet some, some threshold of physical suffering. Because that, be, that would be the focus of the gospel accounts. They would go into a lot more detail about just how bad it was and when the, the, the amount had crossed enough so that then Jesus could take care of us and save everybody. But it's not. It's not what they focus on. Like it really, it would confuse me when I was younger. The first time that I, I, I heard the fact that Jesus' crucifixion was a lot shorter than most of them were. It was really confusing. Like, I can't be. It's got to be like the most painful one ever, right? Because otherwise, what's the point? And something even more convincing, when you, if you look into just the history of crucifixion, which is not a fun read. It's not a fun thing to spend your time on. But if you look at it a little more deeply into it, what you find is that this actually lines up perfectly with the history that the crucifixion was, it was invented by the Persians. It was, you know, developed by the Romans because that's what the Romans did really well as they would take bad stuff and they would, you know, refine it and make it even worse. Um, they, they built some good stuff too. I know it's, it's, there's, I've been to Rome. It's great. Um, but they designed crucifixion not to maximize pain, but to maximize humiliation. This whole thing was designed uh, to be dehumanizing. It was reserved for the lowest of the low. Roman citizens, 
they, they, there's writings where they literally don't have words for how inconceivable it would be for a Roman citizen to have to be crucified. It's unthinkable because that, that's not for real people. Crucifixion is not only just for slaves, it's for rebellious slaves. It's for the lowest of the lowest of the low. And that's the whole point, is to make sure everyone knows how subhuman these people are. It is peak scum of the earth. Let's figure out what process we can make up to drive that home, to broadcast that message, to make it as clear as we possibly can that these people shouldn't exist. They were just garbage. They were, they were discarded. They didn't deserve a respectful execution like, you know, real people did. And they would do these crosses, the crucifixions, at public places. They were always on highways and, or like in a town square. They were in a place where the populace around them would walk by that morning where, or the next day because it lasted forever. And they would see it. They, they maximized the, the visibility. They maximized the shame. They maximized everything about it just to send that message. These people shouldn't exist. Just the word uh, cross itself was, uh, it, it was like, it was disgusting. It was a word that you would never think to say in polite society. Like people would faint at the dinner table kind of word. You know, it's, like, it's that level of, it was so, uh, oh, no, just don't say that. It's because it was so shameful, it was unimaginable to talk about it. So next they divided up his clothes. They threw dice to see who would get them. They made you watch while they, they just divided up your, your, the last thing you had was the clothes you were wearing. So they took those off because it's even more shameful. And then you're just watching them to like, oh yeah, I'll take that part. Oh, let's, let's play a game and see who gets what. And this passage is one of several that, that Mark makes a reference to Psalm 22. Uh, where this, this specific event of, of casting lots to divide up the clothing is mentioned. Psalm 22 is, it's the one, it starts with the line that Jesus will say next week, later on in this evening. It starts, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's this psalm about uh, a, a person who is suffering unjustly, who is at their absolute lowest, feels completely alone and forsaken and just destitute but it ends with still coming through to reminding themselves that God is still with them. They find hope in the midst of this hopeless place that this feels like you're not here, but I know you are. Um, Mark is calling that back. He's making several different references to this to try and make us see the connection between these two things of what's really happening here. And Brandon mentioned it earlier, but um, if you want to hear more about this, please come to our Good Friday service. Um, it's on Good Friday at 7.30. Because um, with the liturgy that we do, it's Zach and I read Psalm 22 and Mark 15 back and forth. And we see the parallels. And we really just spend this time trying to practice this finding hope in the least hopeful of places, in the darkest and the lowest day, still being reminded that God is still with us. So I hope you'll come. Verse 25, it keeps going. It says, they nailed him up at nine o'clock in the morning. The charge against him, that the king of the Jews, was printed on a poster. And along with him, they crucified two criminals, one to his right and the other to his left. 
Because again, Jewish rebellion was a common occurrence. Uh, There were regular events where people would try and rise up and try and kick the Romans out. They always failed and they got crucified. It was this reminder of why you shouldn't try these things because this is what happens and everyone sees it. And it's full on mockery. It's trying to shame them to disincentivize anyone else from trying the same thing. It's more about humiliation than it is physical suffering. And now the mockery keeps going. It gets even worse. Because people passing along the road, again, the thoroughfare, it's a highway. People walking to work, they're the ones walking by, and there's Jesus up on the cross. People passing by along the road jeered, shaking their heads in mock lament. Hey, you, you bragged you could tear down the temple and then rebuild it in three days? All right. Cool. It wasn't me. Um, show us your stuff. Save yourself. If you're really God's son, come down from the cross. <laughs> so he's raised up on the cross with, with his fake crown and the sign, and people are just passing along the side of the road, which again was intentional. And they're just laughing at him. You know, I think their situation isn't as bad as his. You know, they, they're, they're, I guess, comforted a little bit by that. But I have a really hard time... <laughs> if you're entering into the story, trying to connect to this part of it specifically, my, I, I'm a white American man. Like, I'm so far from this, this idea of being in a place where, th- where you're so constantly under threat, so constantly under the threat of violence and oppression and the authorities being against you to the fact that you could walk by and see someone hanging on a cross and think, <laughs> LOL, and make some crack about it to his face. Uh, I, I try, and it's, it's so foreign. It's so many, so many worlds away from where we are now that it's hard to, to even connect to and understand. And, and I think that's the part of what pushes me to, to spend more time trying to understand these stories because it's so foreign that I can't just jump in with my current perspective and actually get a clear picture of what's happening. It's so different. I have I've no context for this. Just Nothing. And, you know, it, it's an aside. Like, if I'm in the story today, I'm not a Jewish rebel. I'm, I'm a Roman citizen. I'm, I'm the one who the authorities are here to take care of. Like, I'm not under threat. These guys are, and they're just laughing at the guy up on the cross. This whole thing is maximizing the mockery. Jesus is hearing their taunts, just the whole normal crowd walking by, looking up at him, and making fun of him, cracking jokes, laughing about it. But again, maximizing humiliation, so let's go lower. Let's see what's next. Because after that, the high priests, along with the religion scholars, they were right there mixing it up with the rest of them. Having a great time poking fun at him. He saved others, but he can't save himself, huh? Messiah, is he king of Israel? Let him climb down from the cross. We'll all believe, become believers then. It's hard enough for me to relate to the passers-by, but then we get to the priests, we get to the religious scholars. It's these people who spend all their time and careers reading the Torah and trying to worship the God of Israel. And they're mixing it up. They're having a great time poking fun at Jesus. It, 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 just take that out of it. They're, they're having a great time poking fun 
at the most vulnerable, humiliated person they could find. It's fun. I just try to imagine this from Jesus' perspective, that here are my people. Here are the people that are, are here to speak for me, who are in the temple, who are in the holy place. They worship me. I gave them life. I made them into a nation. I, I rescued them from captivity, and I led them through the desert, and I have made them into this great nation in order to bless the entire world, to bring shalom to every nation. And here they are laughing at me on the cross. I can't imagine, it, it, like, how deep that cuts. Not how, how much physical pain that is, just, just how, how low that would make you feel the low of where he is at this moment. And it's even more so that the religious leaders, if you notice, uh, they don't even address Jesus. The passers-by at least look at him and point and talk to Jesus. Religious leaders don't even do that much. They joke to each other. Because while they're having a great time and making fun of this guy, he's not even worth looking at. Because we've got to go lower. They have to make him feel worse. And then the cherry on top is the last line. Even the men crucified alongside him joined in the mockery. So even among people being actively crucified, the most low subhuman place that it's possible to be in the society, even among them, Jesus is still lower. How y'all feeling? Good? Good? Nice, nice uplifting, uh, you know, cheery way to start off your Sunday. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sorry, because it is weighty. You're sharing in my, my burden right now, literally, of I've had to read this over and over this week, and I, I felt so physically weighed down by this story. Just reading it over and over again, and it's, it's just relentless. It won't stop. It just keeps pushing you emotionally down, Lower and lower and lower. Oh my gosh, this story is so dark. It's Jesus being humiliated more and more and rejected more and more and mocked more and more and more by everyone. Literally everyone. But the reason why I think it's worth our time to really understand this, to really spend time and to experience that weight and that, that, that constant drawing down I think, I think it helps us to get a clearer view of this emphasis, of the goal of the crucifixion. It's all these repeated times uh, throughout the story and even in the Old Testament that, that this is pointed to as the point when Jesus is going to be glorified. It's, it's an insane paradox when you see how low we're getting in this point of the story. And then glorification means to lift something up. Glorification, to glorify something, is to, to lift it up and to point to it and to show everyone what this is and what this is like and who this is. And God is being glorified. It's on the cross that we are seeing the clearest picture of God that we will be shown ever. It's, it's this. It's during this event that he's showing us who he is. It should break our brains because it's so upside down and so 
that's not right. That can't be right. That's what he's doing. The glorification is in this humiliation. I love the way that that, uh, Mark 8, I'll just read it to you real quick. The text around that where Jesus had told us to take up our crosses and follow him. It's the same story where uh, there's been a miracle. Jesus has told his, you know, pick it up there. Jesus warned them to be quiet about it, not to breathe a word to anyone. Then he began explaining things to his followers. He said, if any, it's necessary that the Son of Man proceed to an ordeal of suffering, to be tried and found guilty by the elders, by the high priest and the religion scholars, to be killed, and after three days to rise up alive. He said this simply and clearly so they couldn't miss it. But then Jesus grabbed him in protest. This is where Jesus grabs him, and says, or sorry, Peter, grabs Jesus and says, no, they can't, stop saying that, it's crazy. That can't happen to you. And Jesus turns and sees his disciples wavering, wondering what to believe. And so Jesus confronts Peter and says, Peter, get out of my way. Satan, get lost. You have no idea how God works. It's that last line. You have no idea how God works. Because how does God work? He gives himself over in crucifixion. God actively takes on the shame and humiliation, the isolation and rejection of the lowest of the low. This is how God works. Jesus is enthroned on the cross. He exercises his power over death through love. This is how God works. This, on the cross, the lowest place you could be. This is the glorification of Jesus in this humiliation. This is where he's glorified, where he will be shown most clearly to be fully God so that we can see who God is and what he does. It's the image of the invisible God. You can hear echoes of Jesus' baptism in this, this, this moment, in this thing that's happening of the, the voice of the Father echoing down from the heavens saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. It's, it's here. He's showing us who he is. Because God didn't come as some victorious ideal of the person that we all want to be. He came as the person that no one ever wanted to be. He came as a poor, oppressed, powerless person and then kept going lower and lower and lower to rock bottom scum of the earth. He kept going lower to be an outcast and accursed and then crucified to the lowest, most humiliating, dehumanizing state that a person could get to. And that is where God came to show us who he is. And it helps me make a lot more sense of other passages in the New Testament where Paul talks a lot about the scandal of the cross. We, we know this phrase, you know, American Christians love it. Of like, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And it always rang a little, like, empty to me of like, well, if you're not ashamed of being on the winning team, like, that's not really something to be ashamed of, right? If you're just saying, like, my guy can beat your guy. It's just like sports teams and boasting back and forth. I wouldn't be ashamed of that. I would be ashamed if I was saying something that was completely different and didn't make sense that why I would ever be boasting in that. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. He says, The message that points to Christ on the cross seems like sheer silliness to those hell-bent on destruction. But for those in the way of salvation, it makes perfect sense. This is the way God works. 
And most powerfully, as it turns out, it's written, I'll turn conventional wisdom on its head. I'll expose so-called experts as crackpots. It's fun to say crackpots. It's a fun word. But, but it, it's not really silly to, to say my guy is stronger. It's silly to say the humiliation is the part where Jesus won. That's silly. That's crazy. That's a nonsensical. To the audience of these letters, again, they wouldn't dream of mentioning a cross in polite company because it was so shameful. You just didn't even say the word. And here they are going around to people saying, that's the place where God won. No, no, that can't be. That's nonsense. That's not what crosses were. Because what they're thinking is, how could it be? If, if, if the cross is too shameful for an average, for an actual recognized human being to be put, if that's too shameful for a person to go through, how could a God go through that? It's nonsense. It's crazy. But this is how God works. I think the reason why is because no matter how low you are, you can know you're not alone. No matter what humiliation you've suffered, God has suffered it too. No matter what you're carrying, God will carry it too. God showed his glory on the cross to loudly proclaim solidarity with you, with you, with you, with you, with me. He showed us that when you get to your lowest point, the God of the universe has already gone ahead to keep you company, to share your burden. He can because he understands what you're feeling. Uh, there's a theologian named uh, Jürgen Moltmann. Um, he's a German guy. He was a German soldier in World War II. Not great. Um, he was captured, and so he was in a Scottish prisoner of war camp. Um, and you just think about the levels of shame that, that Jürgen was feeling of uh, being a soldier. You see things in war that you shouldn't. Um, he was captured. He was a failure as a soldier. Uh, he's fighting for Hitler. Not great. And so he's in this place where he's just literally, he's, he's drowning in sorrow and shame. And he, he's completely come apart, and he doesn't know what to do with his life and who he is and how he could ever survive feeling this low. And here's what he says. I started reading the Gospel of Mark. And when I heard Jesus' death cry, my God, why have you forsaken me? I felt growing within me the conviction that this is someone who understands you completely. Who is with you in your cry to God. Who has felt the same forsakenness that you are feeling right now. In the pit of my dark soul, Jesus sought me and he found me. This is someone who understands me. It's a God who understands you, who went through and went to unimaginable lengths from above the heavens to make himself one of the scum of the earth so that he could comfort you wherever you are today. So I hope you'll hear me today, sisters and brothers, that God understands you. He'll share your burden. 
that you are not alone. And as this unimaginable, scandalous hope takes root in our souls, then we can more and more freely follow Jesus in doing this, in taking up the cross as image bearers of God, in sharing the burden and sharing the shame of others. We can go and find God where he already is, showing solidarity to people in the lowest places that people can be. We can experience with them the healing, restoring, unbreaking power of God's presence. He loves you. Let's love each other. Let's pray. Jesus, would you please help us today? Would you help us to see and hear the story that we've probably heard before and Would you help us to see even more just how upside down your way is? Would you help us to understand and experience a little more fully how much hope we can actually have because of the lengths you've come to be with us? Jesus, would you help us to take a chance and believe a little more to be able to take a breath this morning and and have our hearts experience that we're not alone. Lord, we need you to take care of us. We need you to convince us that you're carrying these things with us. Would you help us to see it and know that it's true and then to experience it with everyone around us? We need your help, Father. Would you please take care of us? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us, get coffee with a pastor, or visit us on a Sunday, then go to redemptionhou.com. And please know today that you are fully loved and fully accepted just the way you are. We hope to hear from you soon.